cursed by God or by the gods because I had such a good time talking about just talking <laughs> about the episode last time and you know just generally uh, hanging out with you I was like this is a fun one this reminds me why I like doing this I'm sure if, you know maybe we finally reached our stride where it's just going to be fun conversations and we don't have to worry too much about it from here on out there's no way I didn't actually think this, but if I had thought, there's no way the next episode will be so god-awful and awkward that the simple thought of hanging out with Nick and talking about it will make me want to leap from my second-story office building into the street, which is not enough of a height to actually kill me, but might just do enough damage that I'd have to go to the hospital and get call out of recording this episode. And then guess what happened? Kyle, I love this episode. Welcome to the Big Bang Theory Theory. I'm Nick. <laughs> and I'm Kyle. And Kyle and I are going to have to bridge the ideological divide from wherever we're coming from on season six, episode 12, officially titled The Egg Salad Equivalency. And before we get into that, and before I get any further ahead of myself, you have stumbled into a podcast where uh, I, Nick, and friend Kyle discuss the television series The Big Bang Theory. Uh, we kind of did it as a goof years and years ago. We keep doing it. and You were listening for reasons we don't understand, but thank you all the same. And, uh, yeah, we talk about the TV show. Mostly we talk about things we don't like about it. Sometimes we genuinely enjoy it. That sounds like it's going to be a bit of a mix today. And then we talk about uh, nerdy things that we suggest you seek out uh, instead of this this filthy show. Kyle, go on about how much you hate this and break my heart. It's not. It's nothing in the episode. Well, that's not true. There are specific things I definitely don't like in the episode itself. It's more just like... If we do not feel like the correct people to evaluate this episode. I don't know who is, but it's definitely not us, right? I, I mean, this episode is all about, <laughs> without without giving the summary, which Nick uh, I does better than me, so I reserve the right. But this episode is about work-related HR calamities yeah, of a sexual nature. Well, and it's it's funny because that part of it, is like the throwaway goof like front loading the the plot it is about leonard being pleased as punch that in spite of dating a babe uh i guess we're just getting the summary here uh that uh sheldon's uh i'm not sure if she's an intern or an assistant i think uh, sheldon's uh, assistant she yeah, gets paid research assistant there we go yeah graduate school fancy stuff she's a research assistant her I mean, name is she Alex. probably doesn't get paid very much but she gets almost paid. certainly not no <laughs> yeah not the not the way that either sheldon or universities in general work but she in her sporadic appearances in previous episodes there's been a, a strong implication that she's crushing hard on leonard and that hasn't really gone anywhere. And you know what? This episode, it still doesn't really go anywhere, except that Alex, while over at... Uh, you know, it, it starts where... And, and actually, this is unfair. I was on this episode's side from the get-go because it opens with a giant game of Jenga. That part was pretty awesome, I will grant you. Jenga is my, my favorite weird, not actually board game, but sort of puzzle board game. I can't get enough of it, and they're playing a giant version and that didn't really have anything to do with anything until Alex comes in and then is like, hey, Leonard, I'm going to go watch this scholar talk about some cool physics shit. And Leonard, uh, she's laying it on thick enough that even he is like, she's into me. I know that I'm like 
a super goober and no one has ever been into me or I would never believe that anyone was into me. She's definitely into me. And so the episode, yeah, up front is all about him being giddy that he's dating a babe and another babe is after him and the friction that causes. And it's not even a B-plot so much as it is just the consequences of, yeah, what the episode really ends up being mostly about, um, where both the comedy and the, the, the problematic elements arise, is a series of HR complaints stemmed in misogyny and racism. It's all good fun, though, I think. I don't know. Um, but to, to get into the actual... Yeah, I'm going to... All right, let's double back, summarize the episode really quick. Already, yeah. Uh, Alex is after Leonard. Um, Leonard is giddy about it. Sheldon objects, not because, like, he's actually concerned about the professional sexual relationship, ethical issues, any of that. Uh, he's just like, hey, I don't need my grad student distracted, so I'm going to file an HR complaint. Um, and again, this is as close to a B-plot as it gets, but part of the reason I liked this episode is that, like, I felt it was all kind of, like, well integrated into a single <laughs> narrative in a way I really liked. I will give you that, too. It is an episode where, I mean, I watched it I'm at no, well, just keep summarizing. Sure. That is also a good point that I hadn't thought about. Oh, but um, actually, I, I it, before the HR stuff even happens, it's when, when Sheldon is trying to talk Alex out of having any involvement with Leonard. And this is something that... I, I, this is the part of the episode I have mixed feelings about, is that Sheldon starts going on about how Alex isn't really to blame here because she, like any woman, is a slave to her internal motherly urges and obviously uh, has, has no control over that and the, the, the sexual prowess of Leonard or whatever. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and tries to, and, and you know, very... Uh, I mean, the the thing that I didn't like, and I got over it, but it's still weird, is that, like, Sheldon is, like, openly misogynistic here. Like, in a way that, like, you would expect someone really genuinely ignorant to argue about why women or any woman would behave the way they do and, you know, reduce it down to biological urges. But that is absolutely what he does. He's very heavy-handed and condescending. And at the same time says, here is what you have to look forward to if you keep going down this road and has a textbook about sexually transmitted diseases with him and starts shoving in, into her face horrifying imagery of diseased vaginas. Uh, and so she files an HR complaint. And where the, the B-plot kind of starts to pick up is Sheldon in addressing the HR complaint First of all, it is completely obvious that he has no idea what even the infraction is. And what I thought was, and this is a mixed bag, legitimately charming Sheldon, completely innocent, don't even know what an idiot I'm being kind of way. But at the same time, he is pulling the exact same misogynistic bullshit on this HR lady. And the HR lady, who is black... The, the extra connotation comes in that when Sheldon was earlier saying this woman, is a, Alex, is a slave to her urges, really emphasizes the slave language now. And so, of course, Black HR Lady is like, I cannot believe this wild bullshit that is happening to me. And just before there is like a, a full like investigation into that, 
Sheldon is like, oh, by the way, uh, everyone I know here has committed a series of HR violations. Leonard won't stop telling people about his sex life. Raj calls you brown sugar and is always horny about you, the, the, the HR lady. Uh, and Wallowitz, in addition to being um, a frequent recipient of HR complaints such that he is on a first-name basis with you, Janine, uh, also invented a six... used university funds to develop a six-breasted sex robot. Uh, and so then... The rest of the gang all suddenly get notifications that they are being uh, required to meet with HR about their own investigations. And it doesn't really go anywhere except that they all meet up with the HR lady. And the HR lady, you know, is like, oh, yeah, you are all a bunch of wacky idiot perverts and kind of throws your hands up eventually. Meanwhile, in what was going to be the A-plot if all this other shit didn't totally steal the scene... Penny is like, I'm jealous, and then has a talk with Leonard and says, I'm jealous and insecure. Leonard wins her back almost immediately by apologizing via cello, or I think it was a cello. I don't know giant stringed instruments. It's um, cello, because okay. it's been established he pales the cello before. Okay, I thought so. Uh, I'm just... I'm just not confident at all in my, in my knowledge there, so hooray, cello score! Uh, and, you know, it's kind of cute, but, you know, it immediately resolves what was going to be, be the meat of the episode. And at the same time, it just, it, it ends with Penny going, well, I guess I'll, you know, put on nerd glasses and make you all the hornier. I'm just going to up the sex factor and hooray, we win. And so, yeah, it's a plot is supposed to be, oh, God, turns out Penny actually has insecurities and can be jealous in that they have to get through this part of their relationship. Instead, that's like 5% of the episode, and it's mostly like this HR lady being like, how much fucking bullshit can I deal with in one week? So, Kyle, please tell me more about your, your distastes for this episode, which... I'm pretty sure I understand, but maybe... Oh, and also, I, I skipped. The, the the title, The Egg Salad Equivalency, is uh, a, a reference to in... And again, like, I do not think this is even characteristic for Sheldon, and is the, the part of the episode I do have a problem with, is he's like, you know, my dad used to say women are like an egg salad sandwich left out in the hot Texas sun. And I can't remember what the punchline was, but it was something similar to, like, full warmed over and, and full and of and eggs. O- yeah, full of eggs and only appealing for a very short period of time. Yes. So, Sheldon, like, you know, he... I, 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 I will let you do your thing, but I guess I will open complaints by saying that this episode, even though I did enjoy it, really does try to have it both ways, where, like, it says a bunch of racist and sexist stuff, and then through Sheldon's uh, naivete... The, the, the writers get to turn right about right back around and be like, oh, we didn't mean it, though. He's just a little stinker. So that that's a problem. But uh, your, your feelings, Kyle, your thoughts. Yeah, I want to make it clear. I mean, obviously, I I think this kind of, like, language is problematic. But obviously, like, the show kind of knows it is. And it's just, like, I, like, I feel like if I just get on my high horse about... How we'll go for it. Bang Theory doesn't understand racism or sexism. I'm punching way, way down at this point. But, uh, but it's most. It's just like, it is annoying to me. Let's just say that to both have these characters have sort of, you know, 
we've we've talked all throughout the show for as long as the show's been going on we've been talking about how these characters are kind of problematic in various ways and so doing this thing where then you sort of lampshade it by calling them all to account but also there are never going to be any consequences it just the whole thing feels a little bit like boys will be boys and yes it was just it was just very like you know just annoying it was just annoying I don't well, know. I feel like a I feel like a woke scold or something. I no, 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 no. Is particularly interesting or novel, but it's just like, it's just like it. It almost felt like this episode isn't that different from like a parody of an episode you could see, like a a television episode you could see being aired in like 1950 or something like that. I mean, I guess they wouldn't have like an HR department, but just this right. idea that like oh, all these newfangled trends about what you aren't aren't allowed to say in the workplace and who you can and can't sexually harass. Can you believe this bird? It's like, yeah, you make one joke about slapping your secretary around. Next thing you know, you have to go talk to the boss. Wah, wah, wah. I, I will 90% agree with you, but 10% push back there because the 90% agreement is like you started by kind of asking whether you were on too high of a horse to, to you know, attack the, the low-hanging fruit that is problematic language and behavior in a, a popular stupid sitcom. But that is what is popular, and to just let it slide, I don't think, is the appropriate thing either, and... You know, I think this is a very common complaint of Family Guy, and so uh, I, th- I think it applies here, which is, you know, they, they will so frequently do the joke of, like, some character will say something, like, horribly racist, and there's not even really a punchline other than, like, other characters being like, can you believe how racist that was? And I think that is a lot of what's going on here is Sheldon keeps saying, and again, I do think it's out of character and I still have a problem with that, like these insanely misogynistic things. And then they get away with it because they're like, well, it is just Sheldon. And I'm like, in most contexts, that would just be Sheldon. But I think this is a place where Sheldon would genuinely know better. Where Where I'll push back is that, and I don't think this is fair of the show to do, but I do think it is a difference is that the the people being misogynistic and uh, and racist in this episode i think are at least played up as the idiots that like they are in the wrong and the world around them is looking at them in horror to be like how can you like a group of adults in this era not understand this like basic level of decency like i don't think anyone in the episode is talking about wallowitz building his sex robot and being like that is a cool and funny thing, but that doesn't change the fact that, yeah, they do spend the whole episode just getting away with it. Like, whatever the justification is, they are trying to, like, insert as much, like, <laughs> God, I never use the word crass, but, like, yeah, just, like, as much crass shit as they can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's the fa- it's, like, like I said, I guess what is paradoxical about this is if i get upset thinking about how someone like sheldon like how insufferable 
a boss Sheldon would be in the real world. That's already absurd because he's like a cartoon character. And so like he can't exist for in the real world or he'd be fired from his job for like 10,000 different reasons. Like we wouldn't even have time to get to the fact that he, you know, said and does some sexist shit. Sometimes he like, he just wouldn't be able to survive in a career no matter how smart he is. But I just, just thinking about how like the, the button of this episode is he gets assigned sexual harassment training that he has to do on his computer and he decides he doesn't have time for it so he makes his assistant do it it's just like that feels almost too real just like the the system perpetuates and the the people Mm. no matter how much you complain they just you know they end up being the brunt of any new accommodations that you try to make to make things better so it's like, yeah, he's wrong, but you're right. He's never going to get punished. It's like his punishment, I guess, all of their punishments is that everybody just kind of rolls their eyes at their antics. But yes. then, like, I, I hate going on a rant about this because it feels so... Uh, this is what we do. This is the show we talk about. Like, feels, this is... It but, feels very but, sanctimonious you, is what but, I'm saying. But, but, but... Kyle, we're, we're not talking about microaggressions. We're talking about Sheldon talking with a black woman and saying to her without a hint of irony based on, you know, his own ostensible ignorance, you are a slave. Like, that's what happened in this episode. Mm. I do not think it's unfair to attack it. And the part that really, I mean, that annoyed me, but what's even more annoying is he comes back the next day and this is supposed to be played, I mean, I guess it is a joke, but the joke then is he wants to bring a new HR complaint against the woman because her trying to explain to him what he is and is not allowed to say to women made him feel uncomfortable. And so he doesn't think that she should be allowed to make him feel uncomfortable by challenging his assertions and things that he's doing that make other people uncomfortable. And that again, felt like such a real, if deeply like online move for, for a dude to make that it like my eyeballs almost popped out of my head. Well, you know, something I'm, I'm starting to think I realize is why we had different reactions to this episode, even though we seem to like, I think we do fundamentally agree on how fucked up it was, <laughs> is that, like, everything that you're saying is correct, and I think the degree to which either of us, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm changing my opinion as I say this, I was going to say, like, the degree to which either of us can hold, like, the show or the writers accountable for getting away with all this nonsense depends on... You know, we we can't know for sure what it was and have to, like, infer, like, what their intent was or, like, what message they were trying to uh, get through on this. And I think that if you give the show credit in that it really has any idea what themes it's presenting rather than just, like, a bucket of punchlines that get tossed onto a page, then it's a problem. Because then it absolutely does look like, the, yeah, a, a real dismissive commentary, which which it is. And I think the reason I'm giving it a pass, even though it's shit, is that I feel like... There's the no people, way they put that much thought into it. Exactly. That, like, they were just like, this is going to be the sexism episode. We'll make a bunch of sexism jokes. We made a bunch of sexism jokes. Hooray. And it's like... I I think I am being too easy on Sheldon because another thing I thought about is like the reason I was willing to give it a pass is because he is so ignorant even though I keep saying that like he shouldn't be that ignorant but it's like you know just as like with the writers putting these characters it's like if you have a little kid like and 
you know, I think stupid prank shows or whatever do this shit where the kid will say something incredibly like racist or sexist or otherwise hurtful or whatever, and you laugh because you're like, well, obviously the kid doesn't know what he's doing. But like, someone still made him say that. Someone was like, it'll be funny if this child <laughs> commits a hate crime. <laughs> like, that's a problem still. And I, I think that's kind of what's going on here is like, I excuse Sheldon as a character, but yeah, like the writers were like, let's just say a bunch of awful shit and, yeah. and we, we have and this filter. So I'm having two thoughts here. The first, before I forget, is it just, you know, because not, maybe not as much anymore, but one thing we know looking back is that this was a real phenomenon, which was like basically problematic people, problematic men, problematic bosses doing shit. And sort of the culture wasn't, no, we don't, it, it was never like, no, you're not allowed to say that that person, you know, like gropes his underlings or whatever, or makes offensive jokes or whatever. It was all just like, Ah, well, they do that, and we just, like, the response is we just kind of laugh about it. Because he's harmless. Sure, yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes he's, I mean, the fuck, this is a very different thing than anything that goes on in this episode. But the fucking Nickelodeon guy who produced all the kids' Nickelodeon content, all the Carly whatever, iCarly shows and everything else. I don't know, Dan Schneider? Is that the name? I think that's his name. Okay. He's just, for, like, the fourth time now, he's, like, new sexual harassment complaints have come up against him in terms of like how deeply uncomfortable a work environment that was like just new stuff today and it's just like people knew this like the whole time he was like running that channel people had to know and they were just like ah funny old dan likes the underage girls to take off their shoes so he can look at their feet isn't that quirky of him and that whole like let's treat stuff as quirky or emblematic of like personal eccentricity instead of uh, a, a real problem that we should be addressing just sets my teeth a little bit on edge. But I think I figured out even more why it, I'm re- – because all of this stuff has happened in little places before. I think what's bothering me in this particular episode is it's like – I think because I remember we've talked about this – episode of the simpsons before there were people who like point to a particular episode of the simpsons as where they got off the train which is the one where like a normal dude moves into town and like sees how irresponsible homer simpson is it's about working frank at grimes the nuclear, yeah working at the nuclear factory and he tries very hard to like get him like fired or transferred because he recognizes that it's like a risk for nuclear like meltdown to have this jackass running this job and people didn't like it because they're like no no it's only funny as long as this is a cartoon world with no real stakes once you have people in universe who are acknowledging that it's a problem it sort of like tears away the veil of deniability and it's not fun like not everybody feels that way some people love that episode i know you love a line from I'm, that episode i'm one of the people that loves that episode but is also aware of the 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 criticism the critique that you're you're putting forward and i think this episode was sort of like that for me which is people have all like people have challenged me before it's like how can you watch the big bang theory uh it's so racist and sexist to which i go yeah i know but it it was always racist and sexist in the context of but this is a this is just a cartoon universe essentially like this is a sitcom universe no one in universe has any real strong complaints 
about the way these characters are behaving beyond the fact that they're slightly annoying or exacerbating. Like we get the, yeah. we know that Wallowitz being a sex pest kind of makes Penny roll her eyes until she finally well, like smacks him down. We know that Sheldon's like a hyper obsessive eccentricity and tyranny is annoying but it doesn't it's not like crushing anybody's spirit in universe and now we get enough of like a taste of the real world which is like no this this college has an hr department this is this you know this assistant said that she felt uncomfortable these are like it's making the stakes real in a way that makes it hard to like laugh off of that stuff at least within the context of this particular episode well so i I think that where I feel about that is that the insertion of the real world doesn't really bother me. The fact that like there are other people who we now know are like genuinely upset or bothered, you know, any, any reaction at all to, to the, the wacky and, you know, often nasty (laughs) behavior of, of our main characters. Like, yeah, that exists in that, that itself doesn't bother me. And like, if this were a better show where I had more faith that the writers knew what they were doing, uh, I would love that. I would like, I didn't get a chance to squeeze this in as you said it, but you were mentioning um, how the episode ends with Alex having to yeah, take whatever HR test or whatever it is that Sheldon's supposed to take because he can't be bothered. And I'm like, if this were a good show, that would be a great, joke for exactly the reason you said that it's it's like you know it's dismissive of the process and of course like the person who is harmed by it now has to like (laughs) bear the burden of like moving her boss through the thing that she just complained about and like i hate to say it but if this were a good show that would be effective satire yes i get that if the punchline if the punchline were ha see how fucked up the world is nothing ever changes or get better as opposed to we're resetting things to the status quo because this show is the kind of sitcom where everything has to go back to the status quo at the end of 24 minutes well and so and 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 with that like the fact that i don't have any faith in the show that it is that smart i'm kind of like yeah whatever you know in one ear and out the other with the exception of uh wallowitz because you know, you've you've brought this up a few times, and I do think it's correct that since Bernadette has showed up, and and since Amy showed up, you know they've made Amy the creep now, and it's all cute and fun, like whatever. She's sexually repressed, but because of dynamics and character differences, it's not nearly as as creepy, or at least isn't presented as creepy as Wallowitz doing it. But now we have an episode where like all the other nerds being sent to HR, like could be excused by the misunderstandings of this specific episode. Wallowitz now has an established backstory as a routine HR complainy sex pest. So yeah, he he knows the HR lady. He's like, yeah, well, back in the principal's office, I did and it's like if you take that as ha- something that actually matters that really happened in this episode and is consistent with this, then yeah, it is the university and all of his friends and everyone know that Wallowitz is not just a quirky, horny guy, but that once or twice a week, some poor woman is going, I'm not comfortable. Like, I I just want to do my job. And some fucking freaking bell-bottoms comes around with this six-titted robot 
Is this a public universe? Where? What? What is going on? And that's the part that I cannot just like be like, oh, it's stupid. Because it's like, they could have just not acknowledged it. But no, they're like, yeah, fucking sex criminal Wallowitz is back on the beat. Everyone watch out. It's, it's insane. So, um, fantastic episode. <laughs> I mean, divisive. It was definitely, I think the thing that you pointed out, which is that the whole episode does kind of hold together very well as like in terms of having some momentum where everything's connected. That part is true. I hadn't thought about that, but I was not bored watching this episode. I was just like, oh, please don't make me think about like how I would feel about like Sheldon Cooper if he were a real boss in the real world. I don't want to do this today. Yeah, I think, you know, my my initial enjoyment has been tempered. Thanks, woke police Kyle. But, like, I think ultimately, yeah, it's this is a mixed bag because... I, I really do think structurally this is honestly one of the best episodes of the TV show because it would, well, actually there's one thing we didn't mention. And I, and I, also I said structurally here, and this is the part that didn't really work for me is where I thought it was going to be a B plot. Sheldon, um, well, the whole reason I skipped over this entirely. The whole reason that Penny has any idea Leonard is into or not into, um, is enjoying the idea that Alex is, is into him is because, as I did mention, it's a Sheldon thinks it's a distraction for Alex, and so the way he approaches this, in a scene that I thought barely made sense and was incredibly contrived, is he meets up with all the ladies, you know, uh, Bernadette, Amy, and Penny, and he's like, "Hey, girl, gals, you, we have a new club. It's Sheldon's Ladies Gang, or whatever the fuck he calls it. And in this gang, we're all going to talk about our problems." Of hypothetical imagined friends. And so let's say I have a... And then, you know, it's that tired, tired joke of you've got this person one degree removed that's really you. And the whole thing is actually about Leonard and Alex. And it's it's supposed to be a joke, I guess, how transparent it is. But they don't do anything to make it funny. And it ultimately leads with Sheldon being like, oh, well, this didn't work. And I'm going to be annoyed by this. And Penny having now a reason to know what happened it's it's really just to like it's it's the most complicated way of including penny they could have possibly thought of that's true and it's not funny so it's i mean to say something isn't funny is like you know we we get blue in the face if we talked about all the episodes that aren't funny but uh in a structurally sound episode that felt like a real just like drag yeah um I will say, so in terms of, yeah, I even like the way they set up the, so I did think this was clever because originally the way they set this up is it looks like Sheldon is going to be filing an HR complaint against Alex on behalf of Leonard. Right. I thought that would have been a really, that would also have been a really interesting sort of framing for the episode because all she really does is ask him out and he is not offended Kyle, you're, you're you're inventing a better episode. <laughs> yeah, Sheldon Sheldon putting forward the idea that like he should be offended or he should feel harassed just because she asked him out and they work together. I mean, even though that's not Ooh. actually where well, what, no, what but like stakes Sheldon's having the episode. That would have been an interesting twist. You are inspiring me, Kyle, and the way I see that episode playing out is that the HR person then has to take it seriously because, yes, it was technically an advance on another university employee. 
And so then they are now stuck in what is the official appropriate bureaucracy to deal with an HR complaint. And then they have to explain to save the situation that, no, it was a wanted advance in that in admitting it's a wanted advance and that it doesn't need to be addressed, that's how Penny gets involved. And it's like, oh, so it wasn't an unwanted sexual advance. You don't have a problem with this woman trying to, to have sex with you. And then there's the conflict. Yeah. And none of that happened. <laughs> yeah, that would have been way too ahead of its time in terms of like portraying complicated yeah. relationships. But... And if you did that, you wouldn't have to have... You know, Sheldon being so out of character because, you know, his I, he would just be the rule stickler in that situation. Like it would make I'm, now I'm just annoyed. Like now <laughs> I'm so glad I could take that from you. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Kyle. <laughs> you try to like, I'm just happy to eat the slop and you, you show me just an idea of what a better world might look like. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about this episode is I did find the way Leonard feels, I think, is actually perfectly relatable because he says to Penny, look, I would never cheat on you. I care about you too much to ever be unfaithful to you. But you got to admit, the fact that someone else who's attractive finds me attractive, how am I not supposed to feel good about that? How am I not supposed to feel better and less insecure about our relationship because of that? I yeah. was like, dude's got a point. No, it's a perfectly natural feeling. I'm not going to say I've had that feeling often in my life, but it has come up and it rules. It's, uh, yeah, to, to be in a relationship and to be like, oh, someone else wants some of this. I might have options if I needed them. Mm. And um, you just reminded me something that I now, I, I like Alex now. Before she was a nothing <laughs> and she's still mostly a nothing, but <laughs> that, that, she starts hitting on, on Leonard and trying to ask him out on a date. And Leonard is being a good boyfriend. And he's like, no, 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 that's ridiculous. I've got a girlfriend. You know, I'm dating Penny. And she's like, I don't give a shit. Penny can come if she wants. And I'm like, yeah. mm, Alex, <laughs> a woman after my own like heart. That, that, is a good, that is a good interpretation of how that scene plays out. Yeah, Alex gives no shit. She's just like, you know, Penny can keep you if she can. <laughs> but that's, I'm coming for you, Leonard. All right. With that, I feel like we're starting to reach a natural transition towards our nerdy things. But was there anything else you wanted to add? Not about. I'm so done with this episode. Let's move on. Interesting one. We both shifted our perspectives a little bit. So that I think. Yeah. Hey, look at us. We're we're having real conversations about this This dumb dumb show. This is what dialogue looks like. Twitter. This is how it's done. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to the Big Bang Theory theory. Listen to Nick and Kyle engage in the ancient philosophical tradition. It's, oh, what's what's the fucking stupid thing that you enjoy this week, Kyle? I can go first, but yeah, we're, let's talk about our nerd things. I will go first for once. Um, okay. So, going to start with a weird and pretentious transition, but only because I think that makes my final recommendation funnier. Which is, I took a I took a partner of mine to see um, Macbeth over last weekend Shakespeare in the park which is fun and I was super excited because I'm a big like Shakespeare freak but what I hadn't I honestly had not considered because I am a thoughtless person is that maybe if you're taking someone to go see Macbeth and you know that they're not a big Shakespeare person. That's just not part of their like upbringing or education. And I should say this is not this person like is much better educated than me. 
they have like more degrees than me by like several margins um, several degrees <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm not calling the i'm just saying they did not go to liberal arts school that's all i'm saying and so and it didn't occur to me that when you're taking someone who didn't like go to liberal arts school to go see macbeth maybe you should give them a heads up about like the plot or um maybe you should uh you know walk them through the play or at least like it like recommend that they read it first because we get about we get to the intermission and i turn to her and i'm like is this awesome or what and she looks back and she goes like not not sad or upset or anything like that but just like i have no fucking clue what's going on i don't understand a goddamn word these people are saying what it's like i am barely holding on (laughs) to the it's like somebody got stabbed and that's basically all i know (laughs) it's like what is happening and i was like oh that's right there's there's no way you would know this this is this is uh it's perfectly like normal and reasonable to be like ridiculously confused if you took me in off the street and tried to make me watch this i wouldn't have a fucking clue what was going on either and so that sort of led me to appreciate that part of liking shakespeare isn't just really like uh, being familiar with the plot or whatever but it's also just learning to like you know like either reading or listening to the dialogue enough that you get sort of an ear for the intricacies, uh, the nuance, the repetition, sort of the in-jokes and things like that. Like there's a real, you sort of have to adapt to it, immerse yourself in it to really sort of appreciate it. And that takes some time. And at first it's going to be a little disorienting. And, you know, I was thinking about how there are other things that accomplish a similar thing that have sort of a, you know, and Shakespeare in its time was basically low culture. Like peasants went and watched it. Now it's high culture, but that's just because it's farther away and it, it, it takes more work to immerse yourself in it. I was thinking, what what kind of shows are like that today? Heavily reliant on, you know, wordplay and careful nuance and repetition and awareness of the themes. And of course, the answer is the show that I've become obsessed with called Letter Kenny. <laughs> Oh, oh, I'm glad. It's is you, you you texted me to ask if I'd seen this and talked about it because I knew you had to have. I was like, "There's no well, way that Nick Hyde is not a Letterkenny I'm, fan." I, I, I'm I'm excited to hear you talk about it because I am a Letterkenny fan. I do love it, and I always feel weird recommending it because I'm like, "You're gonna see a show that's just about a bunch of hicks." But please, please trust me. So please continue. <laughs> yeah. So Leonard Kennedy is it's a show. Uh, it's a Canadian show in that it's produced in Canada and set in Canada. And it is about a small Canadian town that has about 5,000 people in it, which for context is actually, uh, you know, that's a small town. That's uh, I think of myself as coming from a very small town. My town had 10,000 people in it. So it is twice the size of Letter Kenny. But I still feel like I sort of appreciate, you know, I grew up in relatively rural communities with lots of farmers and farm boys and things like that. So I really appreciate just like the level of fidelity I feel like Letterkenny has in its, well, it ideal, it uh, idealizes them somewhat. But it's basically, yeah, a town and the, specifically they're all, they, they say this, it's the, the good old boys, the the hockey players and the what are they called the skids yes yes the skids the, the meth addicts to say the meth <laughs> the the tweaker what we would call tweakers the meth addicts uh yeah in town and it's Juggalo basically adjacent <laughs> yeah every episode just sort of bounces 
you know, between plots involving where you see what each of those each of those groups of people are up to that week. So there's a there's a pair of incredibly dumb but incredibly wholesome hockey bros. There's a pair. Uh, there's a gang of you know incredibly emo, high strung meth kids, and then there's you know Wayne and his crew. And Wayne is you know the emotional core of the series. He is this giant overalls wearing farm boy who never beautiful brick of a man yeah incredibly stoic uh loves to scrap never cracks a smile well that's not true it just very rarely cracks a smile and him and his family and friends who who work hard and then spend the afternoon sitting under a cart and drinking beer and that's all the show is like there are plots and things like that but compared to a normal sitcom which has like you know antics and uh, and you know lots of through lines. Ninety percent of a Letterkenny episode is generally just like verbal bits. Mm-hmm. It's people sitting around, uh, drinking beer, making puns at each other, and it is delightful. And I mean, when I say, I mean like literally half an episode will just them being like. I can't do it as well as they can do it, but yeah. just them they, being like... They'll have, like, round robins among the whole cast for this episode. <laughs> yeah, like, let's figure out some word, and let's figure out every single phrase that we can insert this word into. Or uh, let's figure out how much alliteration we can use in a single sentence. Or let's have a conversation where the end of every line just rhymes randomly. Um, and it's just all shit. It's actually, like I said, I, could, I was I was being facetious, but I'm also serious. It's a little bit Shakespearean in that it's it's almost like theater where you're just watching people talk. And what they're saying is and like 90 percent of the effect is just the ridiculous way in which people speak and insult each other, you know, and it's just it's great but they're all everybody's you know essentially good-hearted and fun at the end of the day so i'm probably my guess is a lot of people um i'm probably pretty late to the letter kenny party it, it's like had 10 seasons now um they're very the, short there is they're a only lot like, of it but there are only like six episodes a season so you can watch you can smoke through it faster than you think but um it's obviously a very popular show um, so chances are people have already heard of it, but I really am just enjoying it. I'm about, I'm in like season five right now and I'm just having the best time in the world watching it. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. Cause yeah, it's, it is delightful and so much of it is the wordplay, but like I said, it's hard to explain that, you know, you're going to watch a show and you're going to see four Hicks sitting next to a vegetable stand cracking genuinely hilarious jokes just offhand and so and also like what you said about it representing a small town is yeah the the fidelity is incredible and i since we're having a woke episode i i get annoyed when people are like oh this thing had a native person in it so it's obviously a great example of like native representation but like this show really is like they're like it's it treats natives just like normal people yeah and just, just it's, the people who live next door on the res yeah you know? n- not in any way novel you know it's they are part of the community and living normal lives and it rules it's and sometimes they come over and they you know they sell tax-free cigarettes single wrapped which is a good way to buy cigarettes yeah and you know living in montana it is absolutely a thing where i've driven to the reservation to buy fireworks and so I appreciate, yeah, that, that, that real thing that 
exists in the U.S. and seems well in Canada. There's a Canadian show. You know, I guess you call them First Peoples there, but yeah, it's just normal Native American interactions. It seems like such a weird thing to like call a blessing and yet it's so nice to see yeah and i mean there's even like there's a great bit like and by a great bit i mean it's like a single conversation where like at the end of one episode someone's like i'm pregnant and at the beginning of the next episode it's like are you still pregnant it's like nah i got i got an abortion (sighs) and the main character's just like ah cool yeah and that's that's it well i've mentioned it and you know talk about big bang theory is the way they deal with the stakes like that where like a season will end, and you'll be like, oh, shit, I gotta watch. And then the next season begins, and they're like, now we're still just fucking around. And you're like, I'm yeah. not even mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I, I'll i shift into my thing, totally unrelated. Uh, and it, this is this is technically a re-recommend, but slight reevaluation. So, first of all, last time we recorded, I recommended Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Putting a caveat on that, the game is too long. Uh, <laughs> And that may not seem like a substantive criticism, but when every single... Okay, so this is just an example. There are like 20-some different job classes. Every one of those is attached to a hero. You learn your job classes from meeting a hero. And uh, then, you know, you get your class, you develop it, whatever. Each of those heroes, 20-plus has their own set of side quests and backstories to flesh out as does everyone else in the game it, like I've put over 200 hours into this I've and I've still not done all the side quests it's and when you have a character with a backstory that has significant emotional impact and is effective in a 40 hour game it is lost in a 100 plus hour game and so that is I'm I'm cranking my recommendation back slightly because I think it is still fundamentally a good game, but it really is just too much of a good thing, and it's it, I think it actually significantly negatively affects it. The thing I'm re-recommending with a more positive evaluation, though, is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, oh yeah, I I recommended it. Yeah, like years ago. And at the time, I was like, I love season... Well, I guess it's all technically the first season, even though it's split in two. Uh, I was like, I love the first two parts. And I'm watching the third part, and it feels almost more like a Pokemon thing, where every episode they identify one specific villain, which one specific gimmick that needs to be overcome. And I initially found that a turnoff. But what I'm thinking about... I, 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 another podcast I listened to recommended it, and I was like, okay, I'll give it another try. And I'm enjoying it a lot more this time, and I think that's because I'm realizing that that early stuff I liked so much, I just held into high regard. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I don't feel worse about it, but like, it, like my initial impression based off the first two parts was so great that when I started watching part three and it wasn't the same or just like escalating what I'd seen. I was like, I don't know if this is really what I want, but re-evaluating it now, I can recognize that that first, those first two parts I saw in a tumultuous time in my life where watching JoJo's with some roommates and smoking weed was uh, a genuine uh, bit of respite in in the chaos. 
And also, you know, just like the nostalgia factor, like looking back on it and thinking about how great that was, it inflates those episodes. And again, nothing at all wrong with them. But what I'm trying to get to is that, sure ain't nothing wrong with this shit I'm watching now, baby. Oh, it's so fucking good. Oh, oh. And I think maybe the problem too is that like, the, the, the second part in particular focuses a lot on Joseph Joestar, which I didn't explain what the fuck the show is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, this is an anime, which is a Japanese animated version of media. Arguably the <laughs> most anime anime to ever anime. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that is, I think yes and no. But like, to, so to get to the basics, it, it, it doesn't just feature one primary character. Instead, it focuses on the the Joestar line of the, the bloodline and so it begins with uh jonathan joestar and he is basically his fate and his, his all of his uh, descendants fate ends up inter inextricably interwoven with that of dio uh who ends up getting superhuman vampire powers and Filthy so dog murdering motherfucker he's a piece of shit he is oh and also i've been watching this on netflix and i just I, I suspected, and I confirmed this morning, that the Netflix version is censored. And I almost want to seek out a different version now. And it's not significant, but, you know, it's it's not a super gory show. But there are times when there is a lot of gore, like someone will get a limb torn off. And the Netflix version will have huge black shadows over the more grisly parts. And at first, I thought that was just a stylistic thing the anime was doing. No, those are, those are censorship blurs, so that's a bummer. But, um, yeah, so it's it's basically the battle of Dio, this immortal being, and there's more complications to it, uh, against the, the Joestar line. And Joestar number two is Joseph Joestar, who to me is the ultimate himbo, and I love him more than anything. And so when it didn't focus on him, that bummed me a, lot, a little bit. And, and season three starts with uh, Jotaro Kujo, who is a punk rock badass who disrespects his mama, and I didn't like his attitude. Uh, but uh, letting go how much I loved that initial like first two parts and accepting this the, the next for what it is, oh, God, I'm, I'm totally back into it. And, yeah, like Kyle said, it's, it's the most anime anime to ever anime, but at the same time, like, it, I feel like it, it almost... It's weird because it's also it's, it's I, I didn't say this, but like the anime is based off like a decades old manga. And so like a lot of this shit is set in the 80s because it was being written in or shortly after the 80s. Um, and the, the, the people that were discussing it on the other podcast that was talking about it, one of them pointed out that, first of all, everything, all the characters, the male characters, which the characters are mostly male, all have a very Tom of Finland look. Uh, which look it up if you don't know what that is, but it's ba- it's a what look Tom's of Finland. It's it, it was a it was a, a a series of by one guy of incredibly muscular men, usually wearing the thinnest of fabric to barely veil their gigantic muscular bodies, including their enormous dongs and nuts. Ah, uh, yes, a slightly homoerotic art style, might you say? Well, and that's what I was going to get at is that. Something that's weird about JoJo's is that it it is obviously so obsessed with the male figure. Uh, Everyone is a gigantic, muscly man. 
And there's no irony or bizarreness about it. They just accepted it reality. And yeah, like that Tom Finley connection. I don't know if that was ever intentional. There is this like base level of homoeroticism because it's like, look at all these giant fucking beefcakes. Like they have psychic powers and abilities, whatever. Don't know why they need them because look at all those rippling muscles. Um, and so that is is almost... Well, I was going to say almost ridiculous. I'm going to say it is ridiculous. And that's where I think the non-anime part of it being anime comes in is that it is so committed to the bit that I feel like it transcends anime. Like the, the, the explanations of characters' moves get so detailed and convoluted that it feels like it must be a joke. But no, it is just the next fucking level of anime. You're like, I can't believe that the explanation of this special move has been going on for three minutes and that I'm supposed to believe that this character has been planning this incredibly specific series of events for the last four episodes that only happen to pay off right now. But that is what the show is telling me what happened, and goddammit, I believe it, because these muscly men that care about each other are capable of anything. Oh, it's so good. It's, I fucking, yeah, it's, I... I'm happy to be back on the train. I'm sorry that I ever didn't believe. Jotaro Kujo, I got to admit, I like your I like your grandpa a little bit better. Uh, and also, I've got to say, there are like six seasons of this now. I am, <laughs> I'm not even done watching all of it. And each one completely, I mean, actually I shouldn't say completely, but each one like does a time skip and sort of resets the stakes and who the yes. protagonist is. Yeah, and that's something that, yeah, I'm not going to compare that to other anime or how common it is, but it is cool that, yeah, it's instead of just having a main character who gets as a lot of, not just anime, but like any, any media goes, your protagonist has infinite adventures and grow, grows infinitely wise, but no, people, people die in the show. And that's something that, like I said, there's not a lot of gore, but people get fucked up and they die and time passes and yeah, it moves to the next descendant. But that Dio... Oh, oh, he's a real snake, I tell you. Beautiful. It's it's it, apparently ecstasy to be taken by him. And yet, ah, oh, what a rascal. So, yeah, I'm just recommending JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And parentheses, watch out. The Netflix version is censored if that's a problem for you. It might be a problem for me. I'm 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 going to I'm going to pray on it. Ah, uh, Kyle uh i feel I weird my recommendation letter kenny which is also about a good just a good good boy who likes to scrap yeah well that's the thing it's like to, to further support letter kenny i grew up in butte montana and let me tell you i fucking grew up with guys that look a lot like wayne except not nearly as handsome way more racist and homophobic yeah certainly <laughs> and that is i think something that is like really what makes letter kenny just a gem it's like, hey, these are like the small town hicks I grew up with, but none of the small town hicks I grew up with were, were getting like a women and gender studies degree, you know, like that's like Squirrely Dan is working on. It's it's like they have all of the, the positive features of being like small town hillbillies without all of the, the horrible things that come along that of being insular tight-knit communities that don't that are incredibly xenophobic <laughs> so for jojo's is fun go watch letter kenny everyone watch letter kenny first you have homework now 
Oh, you, you didn't talk about the other thing which you talked about last time, which is just two, the opening songs for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure just slapped so, to a one. So good. So good. Yeah, I didn't mention that, but I'm going to tell you, I... Uh... <laughs> In watching where I'm at now, I was going back to like compare art styles and opening music intros. And that's another thing too, is like the season I'm on right now, it's good music. It's got a real great intro, but I I felt chills again watching the part two intro. And that's, you know, victim of nostalgia, sure, but God, it's fucking beautiful. Is that the da 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 that's that's my current one which i really like that's yeah that's i think that's the stardust crusaders theme the one i'm thinking of that i like more it starts with like doodle 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 and it's got i will be in the car soon so i will just listen to them on my drive hey all right so we we're gonna wrap up because obviously we're done talking about nerd shit but so you have to watch letter kenny dear audience and you have to decide which you joy like better between do 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 and Kyle your version. Yeah. So, uh, write us if I give us an address, we'll figure that out. We're gonna go for now. <laughs>